Let's look at how this works itself out in Paul's ministry. The role of the Spirit in the ministry of Paul. And I think we can get a better understanding of the Spirit for life when we begin to see what is the role of the Spirit in Paul's ministry. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, When I came to you, Corinthians, I did not come with eloquence or wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Paul did not come to the Colossians with a polished sermon. That's what he's saying. I did not come with a polished sermon. So what did he come with? I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says the power of my ministry isn't in my polished sermon. The power of my ministry is in the person of Christ and the work of Christ. And I'm going to make sure that everybody understands the work of Christ for them on the cross. That was his goal. Because that's the only way we can grow. That's the only way we can really mature. Except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear. So Paul didn't show up confident in his speaking abilities. He showed up confident in what the Christ did for each one of us. Paul's confidence was in that the cross is enough. The blood is enough. Christ is enough. What he did is enough for us. Okay, so that was what he's saying. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message, which Acts 20, 24, Jesus gave him the assignment of teaching the gospel of grace. Acts 26, I want you to go into the Gentile nations and I want you to proclaim to them the forgiveness of sins so that they can be turned from the power of Satan to God, from darkness to light. So Paul was proclaiming Christ and him crucified and through his crucifixion we're forgiven and we're righteous through his blood. That was his message. My message and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom. So Paul didn't craft a message, so to speak. I think this word is the word they need to hear. I think I need to use this word because this is the word that I think will really touch their hearts. That was not Paul at all. That was not how he communicated. My message and preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So the power of the Spirit shows up in the lives of believers and unbelievers to draw them to Christ when we teach Christ and him crucified. When we teach Jesus died for all of our sins, we receive forgiveness. We don't spend the rest of our lives asking for forgiveness. We accept it. It's free. Paul talks about it in Romans and Ephesians. It's free. It's full. It's forever. And we spend the rest of our lives thanking God we are forgiven and knowing that we're right with him because of what Christ did. And now I can get on to knowing him, knowing the Father and relating to God as my loving father, me as his loved son or loved daughter. So that your faith, he says would not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Notice the word faith. Am I going to believe the truths of the cross or not? Is the blood of Jesus sufficient? Has the blood of Jesus secured for me eternal forgiveness? Or am I going to try to keep being forgiven the rest of my life? Faith says, I am forgiven forever. 
and I won't ever ask you to forgive me again. It takes a lot of faith to say that, doesn't it? Because it goes everything against our emotions. It goes totally against our feelings. It goes totally against everything we've ever been taught for the most part and how we've been relating to God our whole lives. That's why it has to be faith. Because the truth of the gospel is you are forgiven. Isn't that true? We tell people that. The truth of the gospel is you're righteous. The truth of the gospel is not, hey, keep asking for forgiveness. The truth of the gospel is accept the forgiveness that's been fully given to you and enjoy it the rest of your life. That's good news. It takes faith to believe that. But I want to work. I go, I've gone back to being a Galatian. The works of Brad. Oh, I've got I to work to stay forgiven. I've got to work to stay righteous. I've got to work to stay in fellowship. I've become a modern-day Galatian person. But I didn't know it because somebody tricked me. Somebody made the gospel disappear right before my very eyes, and I didn't even know it. And I wanted to hear more of what they had to say because they're great musicians. I mean magicians. The, <laughs> musicians. Magicians with their words and their, and, and their eloquency in speaking and, and, and how great of a speakers they are. Oh, I, I just, I'm, I, I've been deceived. Not that the people were trying to deceive me, they didn't know the gospel. Nobody taught them the gospel. They're just teaching what they've already been taught. So when the truth of the gospel is presented to us, there's always a crisis of faith. Am I going to believe in the finished work of Christ or not? Am I going to rest in the finished work of Christ or not? Am I going to believe that I'm eternally forgiven forever? Or am I going to keep asking God to forgive me? One's, one's faith and one's works. That's where the Galatians were. It's easy to fall back into that. Notice the power of the Spirit is in the truth of the gospel. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians, Now we speak of the mysteries and hidden wisdom of God. Here's what he's saying. All these other people that are speaking and teaching are, are coming up with great messages and great sermons. And I'm not like them, Paul said. I don't have their speaking abilities. I'm not a great orator like they are. I don't have their vocabulary. He said, but when we speak, we speak of the, mysteria, the, the mysterious and hidden wisdom of God, which is grace. You know, go to Ephesians 1. Paul talks about, you know, the, the grace of God, the, the mystery of grace in Ephesians chapter 3. The gospel, what God has done for us in Christ, which he destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Rather, it is written, No eye has seen, and no ear has heard, and no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. What is it that he's prepared? He's about to tell us. But God has revealed it to us by the Spirit. Sometimes we'll quote that. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has conceived. And we forget that there's another verse right under it. But God's revealed to us what no eye has seen. God has revealed to us what no ear has heard. God has revealed to us what no heart has imagined. No heart can imagine the grace of God. Humans don't come up with grace. We come up with legalistic things. We come up with works. We come up with effort. We come up with religions of work. But Christianity in its purest form, without legalism, it all comes down to the grace of God freely, fully, and forever given us in Christ. 
and by faith we just walk in it and receive it and let it change our lives. But God has revealed it to us how? By the Spirit. So God wants the Spirit of Christ in you to reveal to you what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no heart has imagined. But he wants to reveal it to you. And how is he going to reveal it? By the Spirit. Now let's, let's keep looking. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So people will say, I want to go deeper in my relationship with God. I want to go deeper in my relationship with God. Well, how does a person go deeper in their relationship with God? By allowing the Spirit to reveal to them the depths of the gospel of grace. And when the Spirit of God reveals to people the depths of the gospel of grace, they will, discovering them, they will discover themselves growing like they've never grown before. And they won't even be trying to grow. That's the amazing thing. There's no effort. There's no work. I'm not trying to grow. I'm not doing these five things. I should be able I mean, I may doing them, but I'm not really doing it to grow. I just enjoy doing these things. So let's move on in this. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except his own spirit within him? So too, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So where does the Spirit of God live? In you. The Spirit knows what's in the heart of God. And now the Spirit that knows what's in the heart of God lives in your heart. So he can reveal to your heart what's in the heart of God. This is the gospel. This is the Christian life that we learn from Paul. So no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. And here's the key. That we may understand what God has, circle this word, freely given us. So what is the Spirit of God searching within the heart of God? He's searching for what God has freely given us. And it's in Christ because it's in the crucifixion. It's all in context. It's in, it's in Paul said, I come to you with, not with my own great words and my own great sermon and my eloquence, but I come with you with the truths of the gospel. I come to you with what Christ did for you on the cross. I come to you telling you that all your sins are forgiven. And that through faith in Christ, you receive forgiveness. And I come to you telling you that Christ became sin for you on the cross so that you become righteous before God. He says, I come to you with the gospel. And the Spirit's searching these things, and the Spirit wants to give revelation of these things to us, freely given us. Now, this takes my mind right back to Ephesians chapter 1, and it takes my mind right back to Romans chapter 3. Because Paul uses the word freely in both, both chapters. We're justified freely, how? By his grace by what christ did for me that's why i'm accepted by god that's why i'm innocent before god that's why i'm forgiven by god that's why i'm in fellowship with god it's free it's all free and faith receives what god has freely done for us in christ that's what the spirit wants to unlock inside of your heart that it's all free it's all free that's the gospel that's the power of the gospel in us. To understand what God has freely given us. That's, that's part of my role. So Paul's talking about 
that as he speaks the truths of the gospel, that the Spirit takes these truths that Paul's teaching and he enables people from the inside out to understand. So there's a corporation between a Bible teacher and the Spirit. Paul talks about it here. He says this, and this is what we speak. What is Paul speaking? Paul says, I'm going to speak to the people about everything God's given them for free. It's free. That's what I'm going to speak, he said. And then as I speak, what God has given to us for free, the Spirit then enables people to understand what Paul is communicating. Because you can't get more simpler than free. The religious mind can't understand it. Why? Because they're still infants. They're still wanting to earn. They're still wanting to work. They're still wanting to try. And they're so afraid that others are going to hear this free message and they're going to go sin. So the rejection of the gospel is not based upon what's biblical. The rejection of the gospel is based upon what's emotional. It's an emotional rejection, not a biblical rejection. It's a traditional rejection, not a biblical rejection. So they're so afraid people are going to go sin. They won't, of course, in their own minds. But other people will take this free message of grace and they'll go sin. Therefore, we can't really present it as free. Because if we do, they're going to go sin. Therefore, we've got to water it down with law. We've got to make it, at least they've got to do something, right, Brad? They've got to, there's something they've got to do. No, they just receive it, believe it, trust it. And that's, that's the gospel. And this is what we speak, Paul said, not in words taught by human wisdom. And here's what Paul says. But in words taught by the Spirit, exp- expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. That's why I said spiritual disciplines do not cause spiritual growth. People are practicing spiritual disciplines every day, but they don't understand spiritual truth. It's spiritual truth. You would not hear Paul go to the Colossians and, hey, read your Bible every day. They didn't even have a Bible to read, so he couldn't even say that. Make sure you pray every day if you want to grow. Make sure you do this and do these things if you want to grow. Here's what Paul understood, that as I communicate the gospel to people, that the Holy Spirit and I are working in team, as teammates. I'm going to communicate the gospel to people that Jesus has communicated to me. And then the Spirit of Christ in them is going to take the truths of the gospel and transform their hearts. We just saw it in Colossians 1, right? 3 through 8. All right, the transformation. What did the gospel produce when they understood it in all of its truth? The, the gospel of grace. It produced hope. It produced love. It produced fruit. It produced... Um, it, it expanded. It actually produced evangelism. That's the power of the gospel. So that um, words taught by the Spirit expressed spiritual truths and spiritual words. So what are these spiritual words that expressed spiritual truth? One of these words is grace. Paul uses this word over 140 times in his writings. It's only used five times before the cross, 150 times after the cross, the majority of by Paul. 
So one of these spiritual words that was full of spiritual truth was grace. What sat in the body of Christ as a whole, people, people have heard the spiritual word grace, but they don't know the spiritual truths of the word grace. So Paul was saying, I'm going to speak spiritual words to you, but I'm also going to tell you the spiritual truth behind the word. That's what happened in my life. I sang Amazing Grace a thousand times, but I, again, I never knew why grace was so amazing. I could define grace as God's unmerited favor, but I never knew the favor that was unmerited. I knew the acronym for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, but I never knew the riches. So I was familiar with the word grace, but not the truth of the word of grace. So what Paul is saying here is I share, as I speak the word grace, I'm going to follow it up by teaching the truth that's connected to the word. That's where the power of the gospel is. That's where the spirit begins to transform people and help them understand truth. So let's continue to look at Paul's ministry as it relates to the spirit. It is clear that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. So the spirit of Christ was writing truths upon the hearts of these believers. Our ministry is not one, neither is the spirits, not of the tablets of stone. That's a reference to the Ten Commandments, but on tablets of the human heart. So where... Is what happens in the heart of a person when they hear the truths of the gospel of the new covenant? The Spirit writes these truths on their hearts, right? The law is external, but grace is internal. The truths of grace are internal. Human hearts, transformation. Such confidence before God is ours through Christ. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything, that anything comes from us, but our competence comes from God and he has qualified us as ministers of a new covenant not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills but the spirit gives life the spirit of God does not minister the old covenant the spirit of God is not in 2 Corinthians 7 or 2 Chronicles 7 14 if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, confess their sins, and I'll forgive their sins, and I'll hear them, and I'll heal their nation. The Spirit of God is not in that verse. Because that's Old Covenant, right? Where's the Spirit? The New Covenant. What's free, right? That's what the Spirit is ministering. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 9. Now, if the ministry of death, that's talking about the Ten Commandments, is a ministry of death. It cannot save us. It can only show us we need saved. It cannot make us healthy. It only shows us how unhealthy we are. Now, if the ministry of death, which was engraved in letters on stone, so Paul's making it really obvious here, right? The Ten Commandments is a ministry of death. We're going to look at that as we continue in this study. And the ministry of the Spirit is a ministry of life. The law stands on the outside and puts us to death. The Spirit of Christ comes on the inside and gives us life. Right. Now, if the ministry of death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites, Gentiles were never even under this, but we'll try to put ourselves under it, so that the Israelites could not gaze at the face of Moses because of its fleeting glory, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation was glorious, 
how much more glorious is the ministry of righteousness. So it goes back to the word free in Romans chapter 3. Paul's expounding on how does a person become righteous before God. Well, the law shows us our unrighteousness, Romans chapter 3, verse 19. It condemns us of sin. Everybody under the law is guilty. We're under death. But then he says that the gospel, that all have sinned and fall short of the, short of the glory of God, but are justified, there's one spiritual word, freely, through faith in Jesus. That's the gospel. And we're declared to be righteous. There's another spiritual word. So the Spirit of God takes the truths of the gospel, the truths of the new covenant, and convinces us of these truths, helps us to understand these truths. We are righteous before God. You know, if I was to ask a question, you know, how righteous are you? Different people would, I've asked this to people before, and you get different answers. Some people say, I don't know, a two or a three. Back before I understood the gospel, I probably would have said, how righteous am I? I don't know, three or four maybe. And if somebody would ask me, well, Brad, how'd you get to three? How'd you get there? I'm not as bad as other people. You know, I've got something good about me. Well, Brad, if you can get to three, then you can get to ten. Right? Because if you ask how righteous is Jesus, where is he? He's a ten. So I'm actually being self-righteous when I say I'm a three. What I'm saying is I can, I can, I can get up to where Jesus is. If I work hard enough, if I try hard enough, if I read my Bible hard enough, if I pray hard enough, if I fulfill what's on the list of things to do, I can get there. Well, then I don't need Jesus, right? I've been tricked. I've been deceived. Self-deception and deception of others. But the truth is, according to Scripture, there is none righteous, no, not one, right? Romans chapter 3. We're all zeros apart from Christ. We have zero righteousness. But how much of our sinfulness did Jesus take upon the cross? 100%. So Jesus became 100% sin, who knew no sin. And when we place our faith in Christ, we become 100% righteous, who knew no righteousness. I mean, Jesus got the bad end of the deal, right? What he, it cost him something. But what it cost him, he offers to us for free. That's what the Spirit wants to help us to understand. You are righteous before God. You are, and only the way you can be righteous is if you're forgiven. You can't, be, you can't still try to be forgiven and be righteous. If we're, if we're not forgiven, then we're not righteous. It's not like forgiveness is over here and righteousness is over here. It's, it's the gospel. My righteousness is not based upon my quiet time. My acceptance with God, my being able to stand before God in peace is not based upon my daily confession of sin. It's based upon the cross. It's based upon the blood of Christ. It's free. And faith just receives it and believes it even though my emotions might tell me something differently. Because my emotions may be rooted and established in what's traditional and not in what's biblical. And as our faith becomes established in what's biblical, then our emotions will eventually line up to what's biblical. Got just a couple more minutes. 
Now the Lord is the Spirit, Jesus, the Spirit of Christ in us. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, where is the Spirit of the Lord? In us, right? There is freedom. Makes sense. That the role, remember we just read it in 1 Corinthians, the role of the Spirit is to search the deep things of God that we can't see with our eyes, understand with our ears, or imagine with our hearts, and to reveal what's in the heart of God, which are all the things that he has freely given us. Right out of Scripture, right? So it only makes sense that if the Spirit reveals to us everything that's free, that what's going to begin to happen in my life is freedom. Freedom from what? In the context, freedom from the law. Freedom from works. Freedom from self-effort. Freedom from trying to stay right with God and try to stay forgiven by God. I'm free. We're free from that. And we're free in the gospel of grace. We're free because we're forgiven and we're righteous and we're under no condemnation. We're at peace with God because of what Christ has done. So where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces, that means we can see the truth of the gospel, all reflect the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into His image with intensifying glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So Paul is saying that the law cannot grow you, the law cannot transform you, self-effort can't grow you, self-effort can't transform a person, that only the spirit in the side of a person can change a person. And the spirit of Christ in us changes us when we begin understanding spiritual truth of the gospel, much of what we've been talking about since uh, mid-August or so. And some of y'all have experienced this. As you've heard the truth of the gospel communicated, freedom began to come. And it may have scared you a little bit because you'd never experienced that before, but that was the spirit of Christ in you setting you free from legalism and works and self-effort. And it's like, what do I do with this? It's so different. Well, the gospel is different. That's why it's the gospel. It's so, so different. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and we'll stop with these sets of verses, he is a new creation. So Paul's been talking about being in Christ in these sets of verses. He's he's talking to people who were in Moses, relating to God through Moses, who then turned from the law to Christ, the cross of Christ, and, and now they're relating to God through what Christ did for them on the cross. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. What's the new creation? The new creation is this. You are forgiven. If we still are asking for forgiveness, then I don't believe I'm a new creation because the new creation is one who is forgiven. You are righteous. You're not under law but under grace. That's the new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, but the new has come. Now, here's the question. What's the old he's talking about? And what's the new that he's talking about? That's why context is so important. To the people who originally received this letter, they knew immediately what he was talking about. Most of the body of Christ doesn't because most pastors don't. Because this verse is ripped from its context. And we pay no attention to the audience it was written to, the author who wrote it, or why the author wrote it, or what the audience even understood about it. 
we just ripped this out right out of context, and most people can quote this verse. But if you ask people to say, what's the context of the verse, nobody can tell you. So how do I know a meaning of a verse that I can quote, but I don't know its context? I can't. It's an impossibility. Here's what they understood. Here's what Paul was writing. If anyone is in Christ, the old covenant of law is gone. The Ten Commandments is gone. The condemnation of the law is gone. And the new covenant of grace has come. You are forgiven. You are righteous. Christ does live in you. That's the new creation. I was talking to a guy about two months ago. He had an addiction. And he, at, at the, where he went to recovery, this was the verse that was really just kind of Y'all got to memorize this one. If you've come to faith in Christ, you're a new creation. You're not going to struggle with an addiction anymore. It's it's all passed away. All things have passed away. You're going to have a new life in Christ. No more struggling with an addiction if you've come to faith in Christ. But his experience of that was not consistent with what he had been taught about that verse. So he gets out. He's on a Jesus high. He's excited about Jesus. The old life and addiction's gone. The new life without the addiction has come. And I'm, I'm free. Because they also misquoted the other verse. And so when the temptations of the addiction came back, when the flesh began craving the addiction, he said, I must not be in Christ. I must not be a believer. Because the old hasn't gone. It's still here. And it's come back with a lethal force that I never experienced before. I must not be a believer. So somebody brings him to my office about a year ago. No, about six months ago. And we start talking about this verse. He actually brings it up. Brad, if I'm a new person in Christ, why isn't this old addiction gone? And why hasn't this new life without the addiction come? I said, do you mind if we look at the context of the verse? He says, ah, let's do. So I said, this is not talking about addiction. You can't read about addiction anywhere in Corinthians, actually. Paul's not even mentioned addiction. The old here is the old covenant of law that brings condemnation. It's gone. What's come is the new covenant of grace, which brings forgiveness. I said, you're forgiven. You're righteous. But I still have these cravings. I said, so does every Christian in the world. But the good news that you and I need to understand as we battle the cravings of the flesh is that the old law of condemnation is gone and the new covenant of forgiveness has come and you are righteous whether you have those cravings or not. You are accepted. You are forgiven. You are righteous. You are a new creation in Christ, which means you don't relate to God by law. You relate to him by grace. You don't relate to God through Moses. You relate to God through Jesus. That's what that means. And he said, the moment I spoke that and spoke those spiritual truths in spiritual words, not creating my own words, just words right out of Scripture, he said the condemnation that he had been feeling for years that kept driving him back to the addiction, gone. He says, as I sat in your office, immediately I was released from the condemnation of the misapplication of that verse. That's the power of the gospel, right? So let's look at some of this and we'll we'll read through it. The new has come to you. You are a new covenant believer. 
All this is from God. Paul said, I didn't, I'm not making this up. That's what Paul said. I'm, cre- I'm not making any of this up, Paul's saying. It's from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, brought us into relationship with himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, of telling other people how they can know God personally. That God was reconciling the world to himself, bringing the people of the world into relationship with himself in Christ. Not counting men's sins against them. That's the old. God was always keeping a tally of sins under law. Always. But then there came one day when the tally of sins were nailed to the cross. And God's not counting your sins against you anymore. You are, he's offering you forgiveness. He's not even asking you to accept what he's, he's not asking you to ask him to forgive. It's, it's, he's not counting your sins. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Part of that message is God's not counting your sins against you. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us. We, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin, and he became 100% sin for us, to be sin on our behalf, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 100% righteous. See, everybody in the world is, is reconciled to God. God, no, no, let me say this. Let me, let me say God has reconciled the entire world to himself, according to Scripture, which means he's removed sin that keeps somebody from knowing him personally. So he's reconciled the world to himself through what Christ did for him because Jesus died for how many people? Everybody. And for how many sins? All sins. So the world has been reconciled to Christ, but that doesn't mean everybody in the world is reconciled to God. That's where he gives us the choice. Do you want to receive by faith what I've done or not? That's how Paul ends this. We urge you, we beg you, be reconciled to God. God's come all the way to you. He's reconciled himself to you. He's removed the barrier that would keep him from being in relationship with you. He says, now you be reconciled to God. How? Believe. Faith. Trust. And he explains this. He finishes his thought in, uh, Colossi- uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 6 all the way down to verse 2. So that's kind of how he finishes, and he, he talks about the grace of God. Don't hear this message of grace and not combine it with faith, he says. So.